Oh my. Hey, just in, we have a new communications director opening uh, that does our videos, just so if anybody wants to put their application in. Hey, hey, uh, we are putting a bookend on this series called Intentional Living, and we've been running with the idea or the reality that life is full of tension. Whether you have been on a double date with someone and you could cut the tension with a knife because someone's in a fight, or there's tension in a situation politically, relationally, maritally, family, parenting, tension is all around us. Tension is a good thing. Tension can be a crazy thing. We can have tension like in our body that keeps us upright uh, without tension, uh, without those pulleys and belts and ligaments and tendons, you would be a pool of protoplasm on the floor, but then you also have the the tension that can cause strain and things that are out of balance, and life is full of tension. The Bible says, Jesus himself says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. But many times we as um, Americans especially, we love to live life to the extreme. We got to have the extreme stuff. And God is inviting us into a tension where we navigate uh, the realities of a culture that's in tension as well, a culture that continues to move further away from God. How do you stand strong in a culture of compromise? Now, I want to say to you, if you're a guest today, you were invited by a, a friend or a relative or an associate, and you, you decided to come check out Timber Creek at one of our locations, I want you to know that what we're going to talk about applies to Christ followers. And if, you, if you've decided you've not quite decided. You're dipping your toe in the water. You're, you're kicking the tires on Christianity and, and you're not quite for sure about it. I want you to know this is a safe place. We're glad that you're here. I think you can still get some practical help from the Bible for your everyday life, whether you bow a knee to Jesus or not. Um, that's our hope is that all of us would live a, a Christ-centered life. But, so you don't have to do anything I say today if you're not centered around Christ. But if you want to be a Christian These things, this life that we're seeing unfolded, living in the tension of a crazy culture in this Bible character we've been studying, we don't get to opt out. It's not, it's not a multiple choice for us. We, we have no choice but to lean into how God calls us to live if we truly are surrendering to Jesus. And the tension that Christ followers can face are the tensions between who Jesus is, his character, conduct, and convictions, and who I am, my character, my conduct, my convictions, where we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. And how does that, how does that work? The Bible calls us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And we get that one backwards all the time where we are a lot faster to speak than we are to listen. I've been saying it each week that the word of God says that we are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Serpents that are crafty and wise and can be agile no matter what the terrain holds. And yet harmless as doves. You can hold a dove in your hand. You throw it at the end of a, at the end of a wedding, you know, and, and uh, like it's a, it's a beautiful thing. You're like, wise as a serpent, harmless as dove, like whatever. I mean, it's like... And what I said a few weeks ago, what I said a few weeks ago is I think that that should be the mascot for Timber Creek Church, that that we ought to be like serpents and doves combined. Like if serpents and doves had a baby, they'd have snake birds. And I was saying that 2021 was the year of the Timber Creek snake birds. So I'm just saying to you, I'm just saying to you that as much as I love the chiefs, can I tell you who my real heart is for, my real allegiance is for, who I'm going to bleed for? And okay, here we go, everybody. It's, it's the Timber, it's the Timber Creek snake birds. That's who it is. The Timber Creek Snakebirds. 
Who, who wants a typically snack burger? Ah! Oh! All right, all right, all right. Ah! Hey! Okay, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll put that on. Be delicate with that. Don't leave it. But uh, no. No, hey, hey, uh, we, we had a crazy, stupid idea to, to make these snake bird t-shirts. And um, if, you, if you didn't get one and you wanted one, um, here's uh, the fun thing. Because of the generosity of 2020, uh, actually, after service, everybody gets a snake bird t-shirt at all of our locations. So you actually have the choice between a couple. You can get the snake bird shirt or while supplies last, you can get a Timber Creek Church shirt just like that if you would rather not be a snake bird champion. So um, if you wanna be less cool, take that one. All right, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, that's our gift. That's Timber Creek Church, uh, Church's gift to our Timber Creek family. Whether you're first time here, or you've been here for years, let that be just a little gift. And here's what we encourage you to do. Uh, wear it and see if a conversation starts. What's snake birds all about? And you're like, I don't remember, but it's something about our church, so you should come check it out. Here, here's what you don't say. Like, we, I don't know, there's something with our church and snakes and we play with them or something like, no, that's not what we do. That's not it, okay? Don't get it twisted, all right? Uh, you say, come to church. And if you're gonna wear this and you're gonna wear it out and you're gonna go out to eat, you tithe. You, 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 tithe. you tip at least 20, tithe's on my mind, everybody, tithe's on my mind. You tip 20% at least. Don't you go be a tip and no 15% or 10% or no percent, especially if you're gonna wear a Timber Creek Church Snakebird shirt, okay? Like if you're gonna do that, go wear something from some Baptist church, okay? No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Don't do that either, all right? Don't do that either. We want to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. This is what this series has been all about. This series has been about when God says, whoa, and culture says, go. If only there were a playbook on how to navigate, how to stand strong in a culture of compromise. Well, that's where the book of Daniel comes in. Daniel is a teenager when he's stripped away from his own place. He is in nobility. He is in royalty in the, in the city of Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. Israel is under siege and taken over by the Babylons. By the Babylonians, they are taken over. Daniel, as 16 years old, is placed in chains. He, is, he has to walk 700 miles to the Babylonian empire. He is castrated, becomes a eunuch. His life looks completely different. He's forced to serve in the house of Nebuchadnezzar. He is in a place where his God is defiled. He's in a place where he has to, he is forced to want to, to, to need to learn the language of a different culture, to read the literature of a different culture. He's been placed in the heat in order to bow down in front of a different culture. And even though his culture says bow, he stands firm. Even though he's stripped away from what his comfort zone would be, he's able to live in this tension of life. And so as we wrap up this series today, we wanna to talk about learning from a life above reproach. If anybody had an excuse to cross his arms, if anybody had an excuse to, to kind of say, thanks a lot, God, where were you, God? It could have most certainly been Daniel. But he still lived a life above reproach, even though his life didn't quite turn out the way he would have written it as a teenager. 
Here's a few thoughts. We're going we're gonna to drink from the fire hose today. Trying to fit this sermon into today is like trying to fit a rhino into a shoebox, but we're going to try it anyway. All right, here we go. We're going to jump. We're going to run. Take your worship guide or the Timber Creek Church app. We're going to fill in 7,422 blanks today. But here's what I'm hoping you'll do with the information you get, that it wouldn't just be information but it would be application, that you would apply the truth of God's word. Don't just be a hearer, be a doer. Let's be doers of God's word. Those that hear the word are like someone who builds a house on sand. Rain comes down because it's gonna come down and that house doesn't stay. That house gets swept away. But someone who hears and does the word has a stronger foundation, especially in a culture that wants to rain on your beliefs all the time. You've gotta be strong. Learning from a life above reproach. Let's start with this, write it down. God never intends me to stay where I started. We see that in Daniel's life. Starting as a teenager, he grows in stature. He grows in wisdom. He grows in authority. He grows in prominence. He grows in influence. Do not waste your influence with people because you just want to put that last post on, that post on Facebook. Don't, don't lose your influence just because you want to get the last word in edgewise. Daniel leverages his influence. He doesn't lose his influence. And we get to the sixth chapter, which is the book of Daniel is divided into two sections, a historical section and then a prophetic section, the historical of what happened. And then the prophetic section from chapter seven and on is more about what's gonna happen in the future. And God gives Daniel some dreams and some, some visions of what the future looks like. When we have time a little bit later in this year, we may go through some of that. I don't know, we're, we're praying about what that looks like to go through some of what the prophecies would look like for the end. But right now, as we end this particular series on the historical piece of Daniel, we go to chapter six and we read, it pleased Darius, the new king. He had just became the new king. There had been several kings underneath Daniel already uh, that had lived. And he was gonna appoint 120 governors, okay, satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Daniel isn't a Persian. Daniel isn't a Babylonian. Daniel isn't a Mede. Daniel is a Jew. He's been a slave. That's all he's been. And yet he has such favor. He is gonna be one of the top three in the entire kingdom. One of the, one of the three top administrators. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself. Notice this, it isn't God alone. Daniel distinguished himself. It was the God he served, but Daniel showed up to work on time. Daniel handed stuff in on time. Daniel led with clarity and purpose and mission and vision. Daniel was a strategic thinker. Daniel was a listener. Daniel was an advocate. Daniel was an influencer. And he so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his what qualities? His, come on, Lufkin, come on, Nacogdoches, by his what? Exceptional. I don't mean like he's winning a trophy because everybody else is winning a trophy. No. He beat out that other kindergartner. He won the trophy. He had exceptional qualities and so much to the point where he wasn't even going to be one of the three. The king had planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, you and I are Christ's ambassadors, that we represent a kingdom in a kingdom. 
An ambassador will represent another king and kingdom and step onto new soil, yet they are still representative of the kingdom that isn't the kingdom they're in, but it is the kingdom that they're loyal to. You are Christ's ambassadors. You're living in two kingdoms. You live with his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom come, his will be done as you live in the middle of this Babylon. And Daniel excelled. Write it down. I can excel no matter who's in charge. I can excel no matter who's in charge. Did you notice that Babylon went through a governmental change? Did you know that Daniel, he's 80 years old by now. And this is gonna be the story of the lion's den. Don't think of some kind of, uh, uh, you know, fit, muscular, 32-year-old Daniel. He's in his 80s. He's in his 80s and he's about ready to be thrown into the lion's den. But I want you to know that through, from being a teenager to being in his 80s, he goes through four governmental changes. The first one is when he is in Jerusalem in nobility and he's stripped away from that as the kingdom topples, that's one. The second kingdom is in Nebuchadnezzar and his son Belshazzar, that's two. Then Darius is three and then Cyrus is four. He lives through four governmental changes and he excels anyway. And it has been shocking to me how much People have placed all of their hope and trust in a governmental change in these United States or lack thereof or a new thing or wish we had the old thing or let's check the old thing again. Like we have been so sucked into putting our hope and our trust and our faith in the middle of a governmental change. And I want you to know it don't matter who's in charge because Jesus is in charge of who's in charge. Jesus is in charge. That's, that is good. That is, that is good. That is good. All right. So Daniel goes through all this and he excels. He's even in the government that would go against his own, his own character, yet he excels and he's a voice in the middle of the craziness that is his culture. Why? Why is he in the middle of a, of a culture that's crazy? Couldn't Daniel just have said, I'm gonna pray for y'all. I'm gonna pray for y'all. He step over in the corner and do his own thing and just be kind of a, a keyboard warrior. The truth is God's hope for the culture around me is me. God, I'm waiting for you to show up and show out. You know, many times the way God wants to show up and show out is by you having to distinguish yourself with exceptional qualities that would honor God. That's one of the greatest ways he shows up and shows out. One of the greatest ways he is the hands and feet, that his hands and his feet do his work is through you being the hands, the feet of Jesus. God's hope for the culture around me is me. Oh God, I wish you'd do something in our, in our offices, our off man, our people that I work with. Oh, drive me crazy. God's hope for the crazy, cray, cray, cray culture in your business. The hope for your culture is you. For you to be solid, to be faithful, to distinguish, to distinguish yourself and trust God through the process. Now, when you stand up and you stand out and you distinguish yourself with exceptional qualities, can I say that there are some people that are gonna be, you know, like, I don't know, jelly. And I don't mean peanut butter and jelly, I mean jealous. It's what the kids say these days. <laughs> I don't know, I'm gonna spill the tea. And I'm not talking about sweet tea, I guess tea stands for truth, I'm gonna spill some tea. <sighs> Now, 
the, the deal is when you stand up for what is right, not everybody lifts you on their shoulders and says, yay. In fact, get ready to make some enemies. Get, re get ready for people to come against you. You just want to do what's right. Many times doing what's right and going against the grain of culture won't have people say, man, how do we know the God you serve? They may want to throw you in a pit too. So instead, in instead of trying to deny that, we have to be able to lean into it and we can't do that on our own strength. That's why we've got to have Jesus in the center of it all. But sure enough, that same thing happens to Daniel. He's living right, he's living good, he's living solid, he's strategic, he's excelling, he's a friend of the king. And at this, the administrators, all those governors, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. So they're wiretapping his office, they're creating dossiers, they were unable to do so. They were unable to do so, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel was solid. He had nothing to hide. So finally, these men said, look, we're never going to find any basis for charges against this man. Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. We got to figure out how to make it against the law for him to love his God so much. I mean, that's how far the government was willing to go when it came to Daniel. So the administrators and the high officers went to the king and said, <laughs> long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. Now, can I just pause and just say something to you? I hear this in the church quite a bit. Like when someone ever has something negative to say, almost always, almost always, if someone has anything negative to say to me, almost always they don't come and say, I personally have been feeling this. I haven't talked to anybody else. Usually what they say is, I have several people have come to me and we're all kind of in agreement that this. I said, well, who are they? Well, I'd rather not say. <laughs> That's when I just, in my mind, I just write the words 666 Antichrist. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I just rather not say. I just, I just say, okay, well then, then don't use them. Let's talk about you and me. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't read unsigned letters. And I don't listen to unsolicited advice from people who will remain nameless. If you want to talk, we'll, we'll talk. But here's what people can do simply to elevate their own feelings. They love to push and say, everybody's doing it. We're all in this together, right? There's unity in those numbers, we think. And I think they're doing that with the king right now because it's not 120 people that have come to the king here. We're all in agreement that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced, king. And he's like, okay, speak on, speak on. Here's what we want you to do. Give orders that for the next 30 days, not 60, 90, not seven, 30 days, that's it, a month. Give orders for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, except to you, because you, you, you're the king. Now, what are they doing? What are they doing? They are appealing to his humanity and his pride. What king doesn't want the absolute submission of their people? <laughs> you, you deserve it, don't you? And they appeal, they cater to that evil in all of us, pride. 
except to you, your majesty. And if they don't do it, they'll be thrown into the den of lions. And here's what you got to do. They already had the papers worked up. Just sign this law so it cannot be changed because there was a law in effect with the Medes and the Persians that if the king signed a law into act, it could not be changed. Even the king couldn't say, I changed my mind. What that caused is it, ca- it was supposed to cause deliberation and to slow down and to think about this before you act. Like, like take some time and consider the ramifications. Oh, wouldn't it be great if this country did the same thing? But it's like, slow it, slow it down, slow it down. But because it appealed to his pride, <clears throat> he didn't quite think it through. So the king signed the law. He signed the law. So what happens in an hour's time is Daniel goes from being on the top of Darius' list of exceptional leaders to the FBI's most wanted in an hour's time. Because once this law is issued, it means Daniel no longer is gonna be able to stay true to the God that sustained him for the last 65 years. All of a sudden now, Daniel has a new pressure. It's not a new pressure to those living for God in Babylon. About 40 years earlier or 50 years earlier, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were forced into the same pressure cooker when everybody said bow and they didn't bow and they trusted God in the middle of it. And now Daniel is gonna be faced with the same thing. What's interesting is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they faced the fiery furnace, Daniel was not in the story. And now Daniel is about ready to face not a furnace, but a fierce lion's den. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not in the story. There are times where you're gonna have to stand alone and know that when you stand alone, you're still standing with someone who is God. God is faithful to stand with you when you feel like you're alone. You're never alone. You're never standing alone, no matter what. Now, how do we learn, how do we learn from a, a life under pressure? Okay? How do we learn from a life under pressure? Here's where we, here's where we go. Daniel chapter 6. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he responds. So it's, it's, it's nailed to all the doors it's sent out through CNN and TMZ, the paparazzi's all around hearing about this new law that the, the king has published. What does Daniel do in the middle of this crazy decree that he can no longer pray to his God? Here's some options, and you and I could follow these same options. He could do this. He could accept the law and fake pray to the king for 30 days. Like, I mean, we know he doesn't really mean it. So he crosses his toes inside his shoes and he crosses his fingers and he's like, I surrender all to you, king. But he's winking at God over here. That's not true. God, you know my heart. (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, say no more. Accept the law and fake pray to the king for 30 days. You know what else Daniel could do? He couldn't like, he may not like it and say, hey, I'm gonna publicly protest with picket signs, you know? No way, we won't pray. No way, we won't pray. He could publicly protest. You know what else he could do? He could appeal privately to the king, but that's not going to work. He can't pick it because this isn't, this isn't a democracy. This is a dictatorship. Oh, you want to pick it? No way, we won't pray. <laughs> Arrow through the throat. 
He can appeal privately to the king, but it's not going to do no good because the Medes and the Persians had the law and the king himself can't change the decree that he hastily signed because of his pride. Hey, here's another one that you could do. He just stopped praying for 30 days. I mean, it's only less than 10% of the year. God knows his heart, right? Just don't pray for 30 days. Hey, hey, here, here's another one. Here's another one. Uh, keep praying, but just do it in secret. Keep praying, but do it in secret. Can I tell you that this is what culture would love for you. Now on the flip side of this, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to go into your work on Monday in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Where are the TPS reports? Like, like you, 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 you don't have to be stupid. Can I just tell you, by the way, just by the way, Christians don't have to be weird. They don't. You don't have to be weird and be a Christian. You can be normal and be a Christian. You can. You can. But there are a lot of like weird Christians out there. Weird. Doing weird stuff. Saying weird things. Being goofy. Stop it. Stop. Right? Do that in secret. Be weird in secret. But there is coming a day, I believe, in even these United States, it's becoming harder and harder to, to live a public life for God when the rest of the culture begins to call you a bigot, call you um, antiquated, uh, call you um, not with the times, insensitive, intolerant. And those, those are realities that, that we're gonna have to maneuver. And I want to give you with the rest of the time we have some handlebars on how to live like Daniel, in the middle of, of that, okay? So what did Daniel do when he learned the decree had been published? Well, the Bible says he went home to his upstairs room where the windows open toward Jerusalem. This is an upstairs area where the windows are open and he's in front of the windows and it's a, it's, it sounds like it's a private area. It's actually a very public place in his, in his home. It's where anybody could look up and see Daniel. Number one, he's not just a poor peasant. He is one of the key leaders. So his place, his home is gonna be more prominent home in this area. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Can I tell you the time to start praying is usually in a crisis, <laughs> but what's better is that we develop our customs and our systems before the crisis. I can tell you that many times crisis reveals your character before it ever produces any character. Crisis is a platform for your character more than it develops your character. So when you get in the middle of the crisis, usually we revert to our systems that are already in place. What would it look like if Christians could develop systems before the crisis that when the crisis happens, they're consistent and they're faithful and they're true. And God doesn't care whether you rub-a-dub-dub, thank him for the grub, or God is good, God is great, let us thank him for his plate this plate or God is great, God is good, let us thank him for the food, depending on where you raise, whichever one you pray. Do you know God, God is not like, oh, you didn't pray over your food today. There's a system in place when you pray over your food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's a system in place that is not really just about saying thank you for this food and the hands have prepared it and nourish this food to our bodies and our bodies to your service, amen. Because that can just become just jumbo mumbo nothing, nothing. It doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't mean anything. 
But what was his custom is that he would take time out of his day. So what seems to be a good natural marriage between eating a few times a day could be a marriage of praying a few times a day and just taking a moment that before you eat, you pause and say, God, you are good. And I remember what you've done. And I take a moment and say, thank you for my family. And I take a moment and say, thank you for even providing this meal when many other people don't know where the next meal is coming. I don't just go through the system, but do you have a system? These men saw it and they went as a group, you know, flipped up their collars on their leather jackets, walked into to Darius and, 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 and they, 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 they were gonna go, but they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. How ironic. Can I just say something to you? Do, do you see the irony there? Daniel could have helped himself. He could have helped himself by just not praying. And he would have been the answer to his problem. He would have been the answer to his problem. Truth is, you and I inadvertently, we love to try to be the answer to our problem. When we worry about it, you're trying to be the answer to your problem. When you were driven by fear, you're trying to be the answer to your problem. When you rub your hands together and wring your fingers and think about this, that, and the other and get consumed with, with what you can do and what you cannot do, you're asking you for help. You're asking you for help. And what's ironic is he actually probably would have been saved from the lion's den had he asked himself for help. But instead he asked God for help and by default, he's doing the very thing that's not gonna get him help, it's gonna get him possibly hurt. He was so convinced of the sovereignty and goodness and bigness of God that he was willing to do the very thing that he was asking help to be freed from because he had to go to God for it. Do you know that you and I respond in pressure a lot of different ways when the heat is turned up, when there's a fear that goes on, we respond to pressure. It's not in your notes, but write them down quickly. Here's how we respond, three, usually three different ways. You know one thing we do? We panic, we panic. 2003, middle of the night on 2249 South Prescott Drive, Wichita, Kansas. My wife shakes me awake at three in the morning. There's somebody in the house. There's somebody in the house. Yes, Janet does sound like Satan in the middle of the night. <laughs> There's somebody in the house. <clears throat> There's somebody in the house, babe. something do something okay like I'm, I'm half asleep i'm getting up i grabs i'm looking for a bat some nunchucks i was into ninja turtles at the time <laughs> don't judge i grab the only, i can't see it's pitch black in our room i just grab something off the nightstand just something that's that's hard and solid and i put it in my hand and i open the door and i start walking through the hallway and janet's behind me you know it's like i, I can hear the music so, dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. And, and, and she, genius, flips on the light in the hallway. I'm like, what are you doing? You're like, we gotta sneak up on these guys. And she flips on the light and she sees that in my hand, I'm not holding the bat, I'm not holding gold knuckles. I've got a bottle of perfume in my hand. It's, it's all I can find. And her loving words as a spouse who woke me up in the middle of the night on a false alarm, I might add, is like, what are you gonna do? Make him smell good to death? 
said, maybe, maybe, maybe they're allergic, <laughs> you know. Here, you know, I just panicked. I just grabbed whatever, you know, when you panic in a high pressure situation, here's what we do. We just do something. We just do something. And many times we end up doing the wrong thing. We say the wrong thing. We act in the wrong way. When we panic, we say, oh, why did I say it that way? Because out of a moment, we just do something. And many times we regret those things we do in a moment of panic. Another way we respond to pressure is we become paralyzed. So instead of just doing something, we tend to just do no thing. We just don't do anything. And we get paralysis of analysis when we panic. We can panic, we can get paralyzed, or we can do the Daniel thing, we can pray. And you know what prayer is? Prayer is the trust thing. Prayer is the lean not on your own understanding thing. Prayer is also the humble thing because it's not what you could do, it's what he can do through you and who he is and not what you are and not who you are, it's who he is. And we do that humble thing and we trust in a sovereign God. So write these down, prayer is the key remedy for panic and paralysis. If you are stuck and you don't know what to do or if you've done a bunch of things that you wish you wouldn't have done, Prayer is the remedy for panic and paralysis in a high pressure situation. Why pray though? I mean, if God's just kind of gonna move and he's sovereign, why do we even pray? Because God is all about relationship. He doesn't move. He do, you don't activate him like he's a slot machine in Vegas when you pray. Prayer is showing him that you are serious about relationship. That you're serious about connecting with him, that he's not your good luck charm around your neck that you hold on to and just think he's, he's true and he's real and he's sovereign and he's almighty and he's powerful and he's awesome and he's, he listens to you and prayer is doubling down that he is who he says he is and you can have relationship with him. Number two, my character will only be as strong as my prayer life. Daniel, because he was consistent in prayer, he was becoming more and more like God in that culture that was becoming more and more ungodly. Your character develops in prayer. Prayer is the key of who, what you should do and who you should become because it's God shining the searchlight of his word and his life on your heart. It's revealing things to you. It's humbling yourself and lifting him up. Your character will only be as strong. So if you, if the decree was put in America that, that if you're guilty of prayer, would you be guilty? If the same issue was decreed, would you be found guilty? putting God first, or would panic rule, would paralysis rule? And what we can see in the, in the life of Daniel is prayer is less about changing my future and more about preparing me for my future. See, this is, a, this is something that people can get twisted. When they pray and circumstance doesn't change, they think, where was God? But I can tell you that before he's ever changing a circumstance, he wants to change your perspective. So it's not so much about God kill the lions, it's God prepare me for whatever might come. Now God, I would love to not deal with lions today, but I am preparing for what you have. I'm trusting you and I'm surrendering to you. It's more about preparing me for my future. So sure enough, those wise guys saw Daniel praying and they said to the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day, that knucklehead, that idiot. 
That's all he's doing is praying three times a day. Oh, so mad at you. <laughs> now, when the king heard this, though, he was greatly stressed out. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him because he knew that he couldn't change the law. So he's trying to figure out, man, how do I, can I dress him up in a big trench coat and put him on the shoulders of somebody and kind of walk him out somewhere? Can I, can I put him inside of a, a Trojan horse? Can I, can, can I somehow change it up? No, what I meant to say was like, is there any way? And the truth is the wise guys, they come back to him and they say, remember, According to the law of Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. And so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Can I just show you that Daniel didn't just talk about God. He really truly did serve him continually. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles. In other words, there was this wax that was placed in between, it was poured on and it would, would solidify and harden and the king placed his signet ring in there and created a crest and showing that all night long, nobody was gonna move the stone, otherwise the, the wax would be broken and it would, the seal would be broken and somebody would know something's been tampered with. Maybe somebody tranquilized the lions, maybe they did something, it was, it was crazy, what happened? And there Daniel is with the stone on top of the pit with a bunch of lions and they put the signet ring and with the rings of his nobles. Why, why did they do it? So that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Now I wanna give you a truth to live by. God is in the business of changing situations that seem unchangeable. God is in the work of doing what seems to be crazy. He can change it in a moment. I think of another stone that was rolled in front of a pit where it seemed that death was imminent. Death was done. Death was the final word. And yet the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that rolled the stone away, that breathed life not only into Jesus, but that same spirit that's breathed life into you when you accept him at salvation, that same spirit can dwell in you and raise you from the, the dead places of your life. And you may see, think that that relationship is unchanged that that hurt, that that addiction, that that, 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 that habit, that, that is just, oh, it's been signed, it's been sealed, and that situation may not change. You serve a God that, that exercises his expertise in changing, unchanging situations, everybody. Yes, all two people believe that this morning at the Lufkin location, Nagadoches. So then the king returned to his palace and he spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him. He could not sleep. What does this mean? Why is this in scripture? Why is it showing what the king's evening was like? Because it shows us that even the king, he was so influenced by the life of Daniel. He was so impacted, not by a sermon Daniel preached, but by the life Daniel lived. I can't influence the kind of people you can influence. You may not preach like I preach. You may preach better, but can I tell you the 
best sermon you preach is a life you live that is distinguished by exceptional qualities of Christ in your life. Every day, you're, every day you ain't be hustling. It's not every day you're hustling. Every day you're preaching a sermon with the way you live. And he couldn't sleep. It affected him so much. And had Daniel said, ew, it's culture. Shame. He wouldn't have had impact. So he was in the world, but he wasn't of the world. He wasn't weird. He wasn't separated. He wasn't isolated. He was engaged. So the answer to this culture is not for the church to cower under a rock or inside the four walls and say, oh God, what are we going to do? If we are to be influencers right inside Babylon and we don't do it by kicking doors down. We don't do it by demanding our way because that is pride. That's pride. But if we will live like Daniel lived, we can see our influence leveraged and make change even in the highest authorities of the land. So what does leveraging influence inside Babylon look like for us? Quickly, here's how we tend to do it in church. We got four ways to do it, write them down. So you and I, you know what we can do? We can attack our culture aggressively. And by doing that, we marginalize his voice in our culture. All people know is how mad the church is at them. And you marginalize your voice. Look, I'm, 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 great with, I'm great with saying this is what truth is. I'm great with that. But if, if we take truth and we use it as a tool to, to tear people down, that's not Jesus. He's grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. When the woman who's caught in the act of adultery is placed before him, he doesn't say, yes, you're wrong. Yes, you do. He, he leads with grace and truth. He gives her a second chance and he says, no, don't, don't go live the life you've been living. But he starts with grace. We can attack culture aggressively, marginalize. You know what else we can do? We can retreat from culture. Oh, let's all just us three and let us be and sing kumbaya. And what we do is we end up minimizing his voice. And so the church sits around and stutters when, when, when culture goes crazy in sin because we just retreat from it. Here's another thing, we can embrace culture so closely, we look just like him and then we disguise his voice. So we just say, oh, you know, it is what it is. Boys will be boys. It, you know, this is just kind of the cult. This is just the world we're living in. Daniel didn't curse his culture. He lit, he lit a lamp in the culture. He was a light in the dark place. And so that's really where we want to go. We, you and I, we, we can engage culture like Daniel did to transform it, not by using our voice, but by knowing his voice. Because Daniel knew his voice through prayer, knew his voice through dedication and surrender and submission to him. Jesus didn't do anything unless his father would say to do it. That's what Jesus says in the gospels. Jesus says, I know the sheep know my voice and I know my father's voice. So how much more do you need to know his voice and where do you learn his voice? In the still quiet place, listening to his voice. Can I tell you, if you struggle with finding the words to pray when you pray, stop trying to find words and just find a quiet spot and listen. He's got plenty of words. He'll speak to you, that's part of prayer. Sure enough, the night goes 
And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, Dan, Dan, are you okay? Dan, oh my God, Dan. In an anguished voice, <laughs> Daniel. Daniel, servant of the most high living God, is your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Oh, gulp. And I love Daniel's response. Look at Daniel's response. Now, it could be that Daniel's response was, yeah, duh. Thanks a lot, dork. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice and comfy all night long. Hope you had a good night's rest. You could have at least thrown me a my pillow. No, here's how Daniel answered. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. What in the world? The king that just threw you in the pit? Daniel was full of character. Daniel still was humble and he still had respect. We need more Daniels. We need more Daniellas. <laughs> My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. So he has grace and honor, but truth. I didn't do anything wrong here, your majesty. I didn't do anything to you. The king was so overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God, 80 some years old, this ain't some Brad Pitt. This, this, this is an Anthony Hopkins, okay? He is pulled out. They give him his walker with tennis balls and he's like, thank you. <laughs> then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth. Notice this comparison in Daniel chapter three when Nebuchadnezzar made a decree to everybody bow down and worship the false God statue. He said a decree to every language and every people in the earth. Now we see a true transformation. May, your, may you prosper greatly. And I issue a decree that can't be changed. In every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he's the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. He prospered no matter who is in charge and he did not have to go lightly on his biblical godly convictions in order to step with, with power and prominence and authority and acceptance qualities in a culture that had gone upside down in sin. And you don't have to do the same either. You don't have to negotiate your Christianity. You can stay strong. But you know what you and I have to do as we wrap up today? You're gonna be shocked how quick we're gonna give you these last seven. The church loves to send missionaries overseas. I just want you to know, you are called to be missionaries right here. You know what missionaries do? Let me tell you what missionaries don't do, okay? Okay, this is a, uh, how do you say it nicely? These are, this is a dumb missionary. Let me tell you about a dumb missionary. Here's a dumb missionary. 
A dumb missionary would go overseas to a new culture and they would say, hey, everybody, come listen to my message. Here's Stephen Curtis Chapman CDs. Y'all learn these music. When you're ready to have church, let's sing these and make sure you sing this. And, and, and see how I'm dressed? You ought to be dressing like me because this is the way that Christians dress. So when you're ready to accept my music and you're ready to accept my dress and you're ready to, you know, just have fun and laughing at how dumb the devil is, then you come on in to the first tabernacle believers tent. That's a dumb missionary trying to force upon a culture, their own culture of how they have found God. Let me tell you what a missionary really does. They go in and they make relationships and they listen to their music. And actually they learn how they dress and they eat what they eat. It's like, you eat, you eat the eye of the fish too? Okay. Like they, they don't even talk to them about what they believe. They, they just talk to them and they build relationship. That's what a missionary does. So how do you and I in our own Babylon embrace a missionary mentality? We would, we, would, we would jerk that missionary off of the field if they were trying to, to push the religion down their throat. And yet that's exactly what we wanna do right here in the USA. Demand that people respect the church. Can I tell you the church grows most in persecution? So it may be that Jesus is gonna allow some persecution for the church to explode. Number one, determine your moral compass will be God's holy word. You want to be a missionary to this culture? You got to know what your compass is. Determine that it's not just God's word, it's God's holy word. You have to have a high view of the word of God. And when you need north, you don't go, always let your conscience be your guide. Jiminy Cricket's a liar. <laughs> Pinocchio had bad counseling. You don't let your conscience be your guide. You let the word of God as your moral compass be your guide. Now look, you, I'm gonna get a bunch off my chest in the next three minutes, here we go. Let me tell you this. You have the potential to misunderstand what I'm about to say, so I hope you can receive it in the way it's intended to be said. From Genesis to Revelation, there are so many truths and good, good things in the word of God. And can I tell you, it works. It works. When you follow the teachings of Jesus, it works. Can I also say that from Genesis to Revelation, there are some things in there I don't, I don't quite get. I don't quite understand it. Probably not gonna be completely revealed until we're standing in front of God himself and he says, well, that's what I meant. And you're like, <laughs> we thought you meant it this way. also say there are some things in the word of God that if it were me I may have wrote it different some stuff that makes me uncomfortable because it affects people I love and, and man it's, it's hard to even like sometimes agree with everything in the Bible but I want to remind you and remind me 
God isn't after you agreeing with him. He's after you trusting him. God, God doesn't so much care whether you agree with him. He cares whether you're willing to surrender to him. And he's good. And he's faithful and he's, he's full of grace and truth. But he's not after your agree, agreeability. He's after your dependability. He's after you acknowledging his sovereignty in your life. And that's tough because sometimes my life does not reflect what God wants from my life. And when we're not in agreement, guess who needs to change? Me. So I got to determine it's for me and my house, for me and my children, as long as they are arrows in my quiver, that our moral compass as a family, my moral compass as a husband, my moral compass as your pastor is going to be God's holy word. Number two, don't expect non-Christians to act like Jesus. Like, and you know what? This happens in families too. We expect our kids to act like adults. Oh, I can't believe you messed up your room again. Therefore, duh. Don't expect non-Christians to act like Jesus. So mad at people acting like the devil because they don't, they don't know God. Like mind your own beeswax. That's what the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, when I told you to not you know, hang out with sinners, I wasn't meaning like unbeliever, unbelievers. I was, t- unbelievers, Bieber's, Bie- what, what? Justin Bieber fans? Oh my, <laughs> prophecy. Uh, <laughs> you don't expect non-Christians to act like Jesus. He said, I'm not saying don't hang out with unbelievers. Like you're, you can't, like they're gonna be unbelievers. I'm talking about people in the church that claim to live for God, that don't live for God. That's what you need to be concerned about. That's what you need to be concerned about. Can I also give you number three? Hey, disagreeing is not hate speech. To disagree with someone's life, to disagree with something that goes counterculture to God's holy word is not hate. It's not intolerance. But let me tell you something to don't do. Don't be hateful in it. Nobody says, oh, that's the God I love by you being hateful. Even when you're right, if you're rude, you're wrong. Don't be hateful. Paul says it in the book of Acts. The most important thing is that I would complete the work the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace. It's good. It's it's great. It's powerful. It's kind. It's loving. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. And people have built platforms on Number one, downing other churches. That's stupid. Don't listen to YouTubers that want to just criticize other churches. There's more important things than criticizing churches. We got lost people to reach. We got people to teach. We got people to build. Don't dive into the criticism that is rampant across there. Know the truth. Know the truth. Don't people that build platforms on talking bad about other Christians, that's not a platform that I want to be ever a part of. And I don't think you should be a part of it either. In fact, I think you should be a part of number four. Run the risk of loving too much rather than not at all. Oh, man, love the sinner but hate the sin. Do you know God didn't even say that? Somebody else said that. God didn't say that. You know what God said? Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love people. Love your neighbor. 
Well, make sure you hate the sin because people need to know. They're like, I love you, but I hate what you're doing. <laughs> As though your hatred towards what they do will finally make them say, oh. And I think sometimes we're afraid of standing true to our convictions. And so what we want to do is we, we feel awkward in confronting someone who's cheating on their spouse. Oh, I don't want to, and I got to stand like, like, or, or there's, there's a sin that's just obvious in their life. And you don't want to make them feel like you're just like totally in agreement and you're like in compliance. Guess what? It's not your job to figure out whether you're in compliance or not. It's your job to love people and risk loving too much. I, I, if when I stand before God, everybody, I don't want God to say, why didn't you love more? That doesn't mean I'm going light on sin. It just means I'm wanting to be more and more like him. Hey, I'm glad I get to eat with you. Now, you guys know you're sinners, Jesus said. You know, you know you're sinners, and when I'm going to eat, just know. Like, it's not like I'm approving your lifestyle or anything. I'm just, <laughs> he just, he was just with them. And he loved them as they were, but he did not want them to stay as they were. Number five, be ready to speak the truth of God's word when asked. Some Christians and some churches are trying to answer questions that nobody in the world is, is asking. It's like the world is walking around saying, how do you fix my flat tire? And the church is saying, I got jumper cables for you. This'll be great. Like I got a flat tire. I know, but look at the electricity. Woo! Be ready to speak the truth of God's word when asked. Peter says it like this, worship Christ as the Lord of your life. If someone asks you about your hope, not about your rules, not about your regulations, not about all your systems, not about what you think about this, that, and the other of this kind of political spectrum, you can be engaged, you can debate, you can be all in on politics. Daniel was a politician. He was a politician for crying out loud in a crazy corrupt government. <laughs> But when you're asked about your hope as a believer, people ought to see hope in your life. Be ready to explain it, but how do you do it? Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> it's one way or the high, one way or the highway. Get right or get left, turn or burn, baby. No, you do it in a gentle and respectful way. Here's what that sounds like. I wish I could give you the hope that I have. But I'm not the one that gives it. God gives it. And it, I, it, it's beyond my own understanding, but that's what his peace does. It's the peace that passes understanding. I wish I could give you some of the peace that I have. Yeah. Oh, I hate that you're going through that. I wish I could give you some of the, some of the joy that I have. what is it? You know, I've tried to just stop leaning on my own understanding. And I've been trying to acknowledge God in as much as I possibly can. And I'm not perfect, but that's what I'm trying to do. And if I can do that, look, anybody can do it. In fact, Peter goes on to say, hey, look, even if you get taken advantage of when you do it in a respectful and gentle way, 
somebody hijacks your Facebook post about how good God is and they start talking about God is dead or this is that, or yeah, well, what about God? Well, what about this? Or what about your God? Uh Uh-huh. Hey, remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Number six, when you experience opposition, guess what? You're in great company. You're in great company. Jesus says, remember what I taught you that a servant isn't superior to his master. And since they persecuted me, guess what they're gonna do? They're gonna persecute you. Persecution's part of, the, part, part of this beautiful Christian life. They will treat you this way because you are mine and they don't know the one who sent me. You know what Jesus is saying right there? The same thing he said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But guess what? You'll never be alone. He goes on to say, Jesus says, I'll send you the divine encourager from the very presence of my father. If you're not feeling very encouraged by the culture of Babylon, wherein you live, I want you to know there is the spirit of the living God sent by God himself to encourage and comfort and counsel and mediate for you on your behalf. You're never alone. And then you know what you do in all this is you're a missionary, is you take on a missionary mentality in a culture that's upside down. Trust God to do his part. You don't save anybody. You don't change anybody's life. You plant, you water, and God, God transforms. God takes the caterpillar, turns it into a butterfly. God does the transformation, everybody. So here's what I'm inviting you into and what I'm inviting my family into. I got a senior and a sixth grader and they're growing up in the middle of Babylon and part of me wants to wrap them in bubble tape, but the word of God in me says, put them out there. I have put them in this culture for such a time as this. They're gonna be Daniels when everybody else is cowering and everybody else is saying, whatever culture says, I'll bow to it. I wanna raise some kids that are great deciders using the word of God as the moral compass for their life. I want to pastor a church full of Daniels that can love and respect and honor and be excellent and be crafty and creative and be strong and be full of grace and full of truth. I want that for your family. I want that for my family. I want that for my kids and my grandkids so that the world one by one, starting with my heart and my family and my community and my county and my state and my nation and my North America and my globe, that one by one people would truly see God is good and he's faithful and he endures and he's got more in store for you if you'll lean on him and not on you and no matter what happens even if they feed me to the lions even if they turn up the heat of the fiery furnace even if they try to strip away my identity, even if things are toppled and I don't get to grow up the way that I thought I was gonna grow up, even if things look different, even if things are scary, even if things are uncertain, you can feed me to the lions because I'm gonna stand true to the one true God. The one true God. It's easier to preach harder to practice. That's why you can't do it on your own and neither can I. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah.
close your eyes. Father, I pray over this group. I call forth Daniels. I call forth Daniels. To be strong and yet love well. To be firm, yet be approachable. To be the best they can be in the culture, yet stand out for the one true God. With eyes closed and heads bowed, beyond being a Daniel, the one thing that God is calling you towards is to be a son and daughter of him. And you don't do that by default. Just because he created you, it doesn't mean that we're children of God. You bow a knee to him, you surrender to him, and, and that's what fixes the relationship between God and man. And I want you to know he loves you today. And maybe you've drifted or for the very first time you need to say, Jesus, I surrender. I don't even know what it looks like to surrender to you, but I, I know I need you in the middle of my life. If that's you right where you are at one of our locations, you'd simply say, Jesus, be my guide. I surrender to you. Would you save me? You are who you say you are. You're perfect. You're sinless. The son of God who died on a cross for me and rose again. And you give me power for living this life. And I want to take next steps with you. Thank you for giving me this moment to accept you as my savior. And God, for everybody else in the room, may we stand strong and trust you. No matter what this world throws, you are faithful. We say it all in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.